Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to IndieP. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Christopher Bell, and I'm a filmmaker and also, guess what, the host of this podcast. We have on indie filmmakers, festival programmers, critics, actors, and so on, and chat with them about their process, influences, projects, and yes, so on. So I sure hope you're into that kind of conversation. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network, and you can find all of our episodes and other shows on the network there. Just search in iTunes for it. We're also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the hyphen playlist hyphen podcast. We're also on Stitcher and I don't know what else you people use to listen. But again, I thank you for doing that. Without further ado, here is our interview for you. Hi, everyone. This is Chris. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here with Blair McClendon. How are you, Blair? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Um, I was wondering if you could just give everybody your general background as to how you got into filmmaking and film in general. Yeah, I mean, the sort of succinct version of it is, uh, like, I feel like loads of people who have gone into it as a kid, I quite liked movies, and uh, in high school, I quite liked movies, and for some reason got really into watching Turner Classic Movies as a high schooler. Uh and watched probably far too many movies in high school uh, and, and wanted to make them, but went on to college and then got really into art history and thought for a minute, maybe I'd be an art historian. Uh, and then after that, decided, no, I guess I do want to make movies. Uh, so I went to film school, and that's sort of where I met most of the people who I still work with, um, and also where I started really sort of studying editing and working as an editor, uh, which is what pays my rent. The shorthand I often tell people is that I direct for no money and I edit for money. Uh, <laughs> although sometimes I guess I edit for no money too, but <laughs> that's the name of the game, unfortunately. Yeah. You went to NYU and, and how was that? Like, how was the program for you? <laughs> um, you know, I'm sort of split about how, how the program was for me. Um, because I think I got out of it exactly what I wanted going into it, uh, which is a set of folks who were also interested in film and who I could work with and whose work I respected and who respected my work. Um, and I really, like, I can't complain on that front. I got exactly that. Uh, most of the people who sort of who I've known beforehand and come to their projects or have come to my projects are people I met in film school. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sort of wary in general, I think, of what American film schools are, uh, which I was wary before I went in, but I went in anyway. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm sort of wary of it because I think they're sort of in a position right now where... 
they're trapped a little behind what's actually like happening in, in the art form, uh, which all institutions sort of have to be behind. That's how you make an institution. Um, but I think it's, it's tough, uh, because they sort of, I think what their goal and a lot of film schools goal is, is sort of to teach you how to work, like to get actual work, which is a good thing to do since people need to pay rent, uh, but isn't always a good thing to do for the art form. So I don't know. I had mixed feelings because I think sort of pedagogically, I was often at odds uh, with the program, but in terms of getting space to work and time to work and people to work with, like that's exactly what I wanted. And it's what I got. Well, when you say that they're behind, like what is your perception of the thing they're not keeping up with? Like, what is it really like as opposed to what they say it's like i think it's 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 a split between the program and you know what happens when you get a room full of young filmmakers um which is everybody really wants to be taken seriously um mm-hmm. and i think what's really hard for young filmmakers or really just i should say new filmmakers because it really doesn't matter whether you're young or not new filmmakers is that nobody takes you seriously yeah. uh right. And so I think what's what's difficult and what I sort of mean when I say the program's a bit behind is that the easiest way for a new filmmaker, I think, to be taken seriously is to demonstrate proficiency in a form that already exists. Um, and I think that's true sort of at the film school level, and I think it's it's also true sort of outside of the film school level. But so I think you run into, you know, I mean... I won't throw anybody under the bus, but there was a there was a common thing when I was around that it was like everybody uh, really wants you to make a film like the Darden Brothers. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like the Darden Brothers quite a bit, and there's like a single cut in the movie Rosetta that I think about a lot. Uh, but I would not name the Darden Brothers as in 2000. Well, I guess it's I was I'm not there in 2018, but I wouldn't name it in 2013 as, you know, the very forefront of what you could be doing, um, even if they are still putting out interesting and good work. Um, And so I think it's tough because it's sort of, I think what's hard about film schools is what's hard about the film industry, which is that it's an industry. And so you need to do things that will get your next project made. Um, but what an MFA sort of gives you and what I wanted from it is a place to sort of remove yourself from that for a minute. Um, Mm. and at least I think ideally, uh, gives you time to mess things up in a way that doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you make... I mean, I I actually wound up teaching there for a year. I was teaching editing to the first-year students there. Um, and the thing I often said to them, not to discourage them, but rather to encourage them, is that uh, no matter how good the short films they made here were, sort of the best-case scenario for them was that at some point in time, they make a really good film, and the Criterion Collection purchases it, and they make a two-disc Blu-ray edition, and on the second disc, that short film is perhaps on it, and some people have opinions about it. Uh, 
which, you know, some people were like, no, this has to be a masterpiece. Um, which if you can make a masterpiece, that's cool. But <laughs> yeah, we're trying to stop anybody from doing that. Yeah. I think if you got it, go ahead and do it. But I think there's, there is a bit of uh, pressure on new filmmakers to do sort of exactly that, to be the phenom coming out of film school, uh, who gets, you know, a deal right away. And now they're making their feature. Um, which I think ultimately sort of hurts kind of the exploration that that is actually affording you. Yeah. And that happens so little, you know, it's, it's not like most people's stories aren't that. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what I think is tough about it too, is that like that pressure's there and you're like, well, there aren't that many people who you could describe that way. Yeah. And it's weird because that, um, that mentality is so present and it like it happens the least, which you know doesn't yeah. surprise me. But um, you mentioned the Darden brothers, and I used to think about them a lot because they were doing these documentaries for I think decades, and yeah. they didn't do their fiction until maybe like the late '80s, and they disowned these two fiction movies because they were so disappointed in them, and then they did. Uh, their first that they were proud of, which is they did their own way, was The Promise. And this is like, I think they were in their 40s or 50s yeah. when they did this. <laughs> and, you know, now they like, they walk out of can almost every time with something. Exactly. So, and, you know, like like you said, they're very, uh, they're taught in these institutions as people you should look up to. And, you know, I love them. That's definitely not the only way to do it. But, uh, they're like, you know, they're the kings. They're like one of the few kings of uh, yeah. cinema, and they didn't do it. They didn't get there until really late. And whatever, you know, that's uh, that's international. That's not American, so it's a little different. But yeah, these um, these things that we expect of uh, new coming filmmakers, or even like you, you or I, it's uh, it's not going to happen. The best you can do, which I've seen through your work is to really like experiment and do all the try all these different kinds of things. Um, which is what I've seen in, in the work you sent me of you taking a video that is not yours. Like you didn't shoot this video, but you're repurposing it. You're finding it, you're putting it together with things and you're finding new meaning of it in it. Um, which, uh, I wanted to talk about later, but I want more people to kind of, screw around like that and try to figure out, you know, something that they can do and kind of explore. And it doesn't yeah. take like thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, as like a, a short film or feature might. Yeah. Um, little tangent, uh, <laughs> but a good segue because, um, so one of the f things you sent me that you said was a precursor to your film, which we'll talk about later, um, was, uh, a Taylor Swift music video for Wildest Dreams. Um, I do not know much about Taylor Swift in terms of, like, her music. I don't like her. I know that. Um, I'm not trying to be cool. I didn't know about this song at all or this video. Um, can you pitch, I guess, your version of the video? And maybe if there are people like me, like, I don't know what the original video was. I don't really listen to Taylor Swift's music. I don't tend to, like think very hard about her work. I know there are people who hate her, people who really love her. Uh, I, she's just not really sort of in my wheelhouse. But uh, that video did enter 
my wheelhouse. Um, it's this. It's this film. <laughs> it's this music video uh, for a song, "Wild Streams." I think it's probably a couple albums ago now. Um, that you know, for reasons that I am not privy to, um, they decided what we need to do is we need to shoot a film or shoot a music video in Africa uh, that features exclusively wild animals in Africa. And also is this weird sort of, uh, it's not really a parody. It's a, a redoing of sort of this glamorous era of, you know, 40s and 50s movies. And it's like Taylor Swift is the screen star and she's in this torrid affair maybe with the other star of the, the fake film in the music video. And it's all about, the song's all about the guy and, uh, her memories of, of their relationship. Um, but when the video came out, uh, it caught a bit of flack, um, because that's not exactly an era of, uh, <laughs> representation of Africa that one might want to bring back up all of a sudden. Um, and I was watching it and, you know, I was, I mean, I was offended by the video, but, uh, sort of the same thing I would later say about America for Americans is that I was like, well, like what I had at hand was access to an edit suite. Um, and so what I thought is, well, we can keep what she did. Um, but what's more interesting to me is what was going on, you know, sort of at the exact same time as this era that she's recalling, which is this era of glamorous white people in Africa was also an era of, you know, decolonial and anti-colonial struggles. Uh, and so I went through and I knew where to find a lot of footage of this stuff. And I said, okay, well, let's put the people who are in Africa back in this representation of Africa. Um, and, you know, it's there's a, a friend of mine and a colleague of mine who uh, we basically were making a bunch of videos together at the time. This is the first one I did that we just explicitly called agitprop videos. Uh, and the point of this one was sort of just, well, if we're going to really just try to reappropriate this era, let's put the full context back into it. And so I sort of start off with her video, though I've changed the soundscape of it, and it pretty quickly devolves into sort of a montage of anti-colonial struggles and then comes back into uh, her version of, you know, sort of the blissed, beautiful romance. But I think sort of what you were saying is sort of right, is that it's like, you know, there's there's one way where you can try to uh, critique these kinds of images, which is you make a whole nother film. Um, but something that I think I've always been interested, one is sort of in collage, uh, but also in actually making the images that already exist do the work. Um, and that was, I think this sort of sparked me actually doing that, where I realized, you know, you can certainly write an essay about why Taylor Swift shouldn't have made a video in Africa about giraffes and white people in gowns. Um, but you also can just put the pictures next to each other. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I, I think both is good. Oh, um, yeah. It's good to have both, but it's it's definitely, like, obviously because of the medium, it's a bit more 
powerful. And like, you know, straight up people don't read. So it's kind of yeah. like, it's good to have that. Yeah. That was sort of something I was interested in is that it's just like, you know, certainly you can, you can seek out, uh, the places where that kind of cultural criticism is being produced. But I think sort of what, what interested me, I mean, what interested me is sort of basically the form of a film essay, which is that mm -hmm. I was like, it's already in this medium. Like all the material you sort of need to make it already in fact exists in this medium. Yeah. So you're kind of using the, the form or the weapons, like the same weapons they are. You're yeah. not writing about it and like thus making the medium different. You're keeping within the medium and going through it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's not, you know, that's not me attacking writers. Once upon a time, I very, very briefly was a film critic and thought I would continue to be one. Uh, but it is, I think sort of, I don't know. There's, there's a way in which um, I think people sometimes forget that there's, you know, analytical work that can be done in images and not just, it's not always just a story, that the images are in fact doing something. Um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a cheap and easy uh, person to draw on, but it's like, I, rem I remember in high school, it must have been on Turner Classic Movies in the middle of the night seeing, um, what is it, A Grin Without a Cat and being one deeply confused because I did not know the history of the French left. Uh, but also sort of being astounded at like that somebody was laying out an argument with pictures. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not to knock, um, written criticism. Um, but it just is a, it's a different way to do it. And it's, it's keeping within the medium, which, um, gives you different, um, it's just a, a different arsenal for you to use. And um, I guess I have two points on that. I have to I have to say, like, there are, like, um, there's plenty of film essays, you know, especially yeah. now in the, like, in the internet age. But um, if it's someone, like, talking, <laughs> it, um, it doesn't interest me too much. Um, but what I like about, where where it's like they wrote something and then they're like kind of narrating it over images and like they present their argument. Yeah. Like I'm not too interested in that, um, which is what you didn't do, especially with <laughs> this one. Like it, it still has a lot of power and it's like keeping me interested and, and engaged. Um, it's not a lecture. It feels like there's something more to it. Um, it's, it's more powerful that way, in my opinion. And um, another thing is like... Uh, you wouldn't, you're not strapped to find stuff like this, these kind of like remix videos that, you know, have a point to them. And, you know, they're not all like crafted well or, or they're not all crafted to like do anything more than entertain, but there are a lot are, and there are a lot are that are, there are a lot of them that are smarter than they may even think. And I just wish that there was a, um, there was an appreciation for them that, or like that people took them seriously and would assess them and write about them because yeah. I feel like there is a lot of smart work out there. That's like maybe considered low art because it's on YouTube or something, but yeah. you know, I would love to see, I have this thing where I have, um, in my head, I always wanted to start like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, 
it's a little condescending in, in the, the title. It's called like accidentally good short films, mm-hmm. something like that, where it's like there's a video that actually works really, really well as a short film, but it wasn't really intended like that. Yeah. And um, I want something like that. And we could change the title or whatever, but I feel like uh, your work and other kind, like the Taylor Swift video and other things like that would fall into that, where like you would write like an essay, a couple paragraphs assessing the work and, and giving it a platform and taking it seriously. And I think a lot of interesting stuff is being lost because we don't have something like that. Mike, I agree. I mean, that that video sort of led to... Me and the friend I mentioned earlier, his name's Harry Chepka, we made a couple more videos that are sort of all, in one way or another, remix videos that basically were that. Um, this is the slogan we gave them, uh, which was also an appropriation uh, of Lauren Hill's saying, everything is everything, uh, mm-hmm. except we sort of meant it exactly that way, that there's a lot of work that gets segregated from the idea of having any, you know, meaning or value or being capable of, you know, moving or inciting based largely on a bunch of markers about, you know, where it's distributed or who's in it um, or, you know, what kind of audience it it seems to be trying to get. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that when you really look at it, it's like these things aren't fundamentally different. Um, you know, one, I mean, one of the ones he cut together, uh, was pulling together this, uh, Boosie song with William Forsythe dancing. Um, cause he has all these motions in the dance that look a lot like motions you see in rap videos. And he realized he's actually dancing pretty close to the beat of this song, uh, and, you know, it was like, it was a funny thing and we shared it sort of around our colleagues and people liked it. And then, I don't know, maybe eight months later, I was reading, I think it must, what was it, Freeze Magazine. And in the very back of it, there was an interview with William Forsythe and they asked like, what are you listening to recently? And every answer he gave was a rap artist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, that's the, nobody follows up with that to be like, okay, what does this imply about these two forms? A lot of this stuff is just so much more interesting to me than, you know, I don't want to spend this whole interview knocking the Darden brothers because they're really important to me. I mean, they're brilliant. Yeah. But, um, you, you do get that, like, they're one of the few and like, you have to replicate what they're doing. And, um, just another like takeaway from that is that like, I used to, um, go down on, uh, are are you familiar with Karagarga? So I would I would see like what the newest stuff is, like organize the the movies by date and just like grab whatever premiered at like Berlin or Rotterdam or something. So I would get these random ass like international films that like wouldn't even get distribution here. Um, And I would I would download them and I would watch them. And I could not believe how many sub Darden movies there are of just like just the camera, you know, following a character. But that's pretty much it. Like they're, they're copying like what he's doing, what they're doing like uh, with the camera. But you know, the, it's just a very plain narrative. Like, Oh, this kid gets a dog and the dog like is a fighting dog. And it's like, it's, it's the same bullshit you would see in, um, you know, any other kind of, uh, movie except, um, it sort of resembles 
like quote unquote masters. Um, and it sucks. And like, you're teaching people to do that. You're not like it, it, their formula, like what you take from their formula is not automatically equal. Like a great movie, like, you know, the, the premise is generic, the script, there's nothing interesting about it. There's no mystery. There's no, like, you know, it's a shame that it's like driven to copy I mean, maybe they're being taught wrong. I have no idea. Well, I think uh, it's like, it's a confusing of like style and form. Like people wind up replicating that are dense style, but they're not actually replicating what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their scripts are, are pretty strong. They're so good. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of how, like, uh, how the story plays out and like even the scenes. And I just did not see any of that. And like, any of these random films I did it just seemed like, oh, this was like in a lab, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because it's, I think it's, you know, I mean, again, it's like that you, you sort of have to bet wildly on yourself if you're not going to do that, um, which might work. Uh, it also might not, <laughs> in which yeah. case you sort of just don't, you don't produce anything. Um and it, it is a bit easier. I mean, this isn't a new problem. It's always easier to sort of explain your project by referencing a different project, um, mm. especially if you're new. You know, it's much easier to say, my film is like, and then you name something very good. Um, mm. But, you know, I think what's what's tough about it is it traps you sort of in... I, I think it's useful to try to imitate early on because you'll figure out what you actually like and what you can and can't do but i do sort of think you know i mean the thing i always say is that it's like i don't think it's useful to imitate the darden brothers because if i want to see a darden movie i'd rather see a darden brothers movie yeah and that's what i realized too when i was in uh film school and i found them i was like oh man there's nothing else and yeah that's what i wanted to do but then seeing all these movies it's like i don't know i'd rather just watch <laughs> them and there are people who are who have done their thing and uh have done it well but you know it's not like a winning solution like every time um yeah and i don't know what your film school was like you you just went to a master's program film school yeah it was just a master's okay wow so i went to um bachelor's so you know we're a lot younger and really nobody knows what to do and um thinking back on that and even like sometime after school if like uh people i knew not necessarily from my school or whatever um would make films or like write scripts there would always be someone there'd be a bunch of people who did have like decent taste and then they would make these films that was like unlike anything yeah. That and not in a good way. Like it just unlike anything they would reference or like. And I really do think you need to probably, depending who you are, uh, you need to probably copy um yeah. the the people you like because some people make short films and they're just unlike anything that's even out there. Like doesn't feel like a movie in any sense. And I would hate I really hate to put like that kind of box out there. But in terms of your own um, 
skill and, and exercising all those things and trying to become a better artist, it, it is helpful. But, you know, that doesn't apply to everybody. I, I am just, like, struck by how some films, short films, like, right out of school or as a young filmmaker, it just doesn't, I don't know. It's like, what? how is this like the movies you love? I, I don't know. But I do hate, I don't want to, const- like, uh, constrict people with that. So it's just a thought, whatever. I'm a hypocrite. It's fine. <laughs> it happens. Yes. <laughs> um, but let's talk about uh, American America for Americans. And yeah. can you briefly describe to the audience what it's about? Yeah. Um, I've gotten much better at this now. So <laughs> it's hard, right? It's like <laughs> uh, America for Americans is a found footage and other materials, uh, essay film about sort of the sense of black people being besieged in America. Um, you know, I mean like talking about copying, like the very first thing I did was steal wholeheartedly a scene, um, that was from, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, it's the Ghadar documentary from the seventies about the Palestinians. Here and elsewhere. Hmm? Here and elsewhere. Yes. Thank you. Um, I've said that so many times and now it just disappeared, but <laughs> so I had seen that and there's this scene in it, um, where you're seeing a bunch of Palestinians holding a meeting and it's going on for very, very long because it's Ghadar in the seventies and it cuts and then it infor- the screen, there's text on the screen, you know, that, or maybe it's a voiceover, I can't quite remember right now, that informs you that everybody who you see in this was killed shortly later in a bombing run from Israel. And then it cuts back and the meeting keeps going. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's a very, like, abrupt and <laughs> didactic mechanism, but it did sort of shake me in a way that I hadn't been able to remember in a long time, the idea of death on screen shaking me. And there wasn't a death on screen. They were just telling me that these real people were dead later by the time this movie was finished. Um, and that was sort of, that was the first thing I, I did to make this. There's a scene uh, for people who are listening in the film where there's a bunch of prisoners who are in a cell. Um, you know, they had smuggled in a cell phone and with the cell phone, they recorded a rap video Um and I read about it because it got out on like world star hip hop and blew up and I watched the video and it was, you know, it's a fine rap video. And then I read shortly thereafter that they all got hit with massive sentences of solitary confinement for smuggling this phone in and recording a video and putting it on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, all of your listeners, I assume have been alive over the last several years and it's, you know, we've all lived through this moment of like black uprising and you can go to the nightly news and just see black people get shot down in the street, sometimes by cops, sometimes by random people. Um, but there, there was a sense that I sort of wanted to get at with this, that it's not just, you know, these sporadic moments where somebody is killed by the state or somebody else. Um, but that there are just these sort of mundane, brutal things that happen. Um, 
And that one, that was sort of the first thing that started, which is I, all I did was just repeat what Godard did. <laughs> like, I play the video, I cut out in the middle of it and tell you that all of these people were sentenced to solitary confinement for recording this video and then cut back to the video. Um, and I didn't actually have an idea at the time that I was making a movie. I just, again, I had access to uh, an editing suite and I was mad and I like Godard a lot. Uh, and then sort of different pieces kept building. Um, after that, I sort of went and made... Um, the pieces that kind of come right after that. So it's like some of it uh, is repurposing footage that circulated widely of, you know, people being assaulted um, or killed sometimes. And what I really sort of wanted was to take these things out of the context or maybe contextlessness they were in uh, and put them back sort of in a historical one. Um, I think a big sort of leap uh, was that my girlfriend, she, at the time that uh, I was working on this, she was working in um, a clinic or something. And I remember one day she was talking about how, because they play, you know, the news in the clinics, um, in the waiting rooms, uh, the footage of Eric Garner dying was just on loop all day. Mm. Uh, and there was just like, nobody had anything to say. Uh, it just was playing all the time. And that sort of struck me because obviously I had been living through that too, but I was like, you're right. These things are just playing. And there's no, there's no real way to relate to them other than to say, you know, if you're on their side, you say, this is horrifying. It's tragic. If you're not, you say something awful about listening to police or something. But what sort of bothered me about it and maybe this gets a bit too to some of the earlier conversation is, you know, I was in this institution, I was at film school and I just like, everything felt sort of ridiculous that I was doing. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, I, at, well, as, as we can tell from so far, I can sit and like talk about my opinions about movies and the film industry for a very long time. And I was doing that day in and day out. And I was like, there are cities on fire. Like, what am I doing with my time right now? Um, and I remember there was there was one day uh, where I had already I had already started editing it at this point, but um, it was when Baltimore was on fire, and there was a protest in New York that was held, you know, in solidarity with them. And I went to the protest, and you know, there's there's a there's a rhythm to pretty much every uh, you know either anti-police or anti-Wall Street or whomever protest in New York. Basically, any protest that isn't, you know, big and called by a big nonprofit has the same rhythm, which is the beginning is, you know, angry, but full of lots of people and there's families there and you meet at Union Square for some reason all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the police say, you can't leave Union Square. Um, and then the same thing happens every time, which is at a certain point, everyone realizes, yeah, but there's a lot of us, so we can leave Union Square. And so you do. Uh, and so you march and slowly over time, you know, it gets late, people have to go home, families have to go home. And then the police start doing terrible things. Um, and so basically that happened, you know, we were marching through the streets of Manhattan, people were shouting, we were blocking up streets. And then all of a sudden, and maybe around 11pm, 
I don't know what happened down where they were, but the police just like jump this barrier and start punching people and we're all running. Uh, and I get home, you know, much, much later. And then I, for reasons I still don't know, I said, oh, well, it's the morning, so I have to go to school now. Uh, and so I went to school and I just thought to myself, like, this is, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of reconcile uh, sitting in this classroom, you know, we were all working on our short films, um, editing them. And that the night before I had been like running through the streets. Uh, and there was, you know, there was a discussion at the film program at the time about, uh, you know, having a conversation around race. Um, and I think that was around the time that, you know, uh, the president and various administration officials, <laughs> not the current president, uh, said, you know, we need to have a national conversation on race. And I think what's what solidified America for Americans was that I thought to myself, there's absolutely nothing to say. There's nothing to say that hasn't already been said. Uh, all we're going to do is just kind of repeat ourselves infinitely until either something absolutely horrendous happens or until it's all over and everything's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that sort of launched the project for me was just how do you make you know, I, once upon a time, like I said, I thought I was going to sort of be a, a critic and an essayist. And, you know, I felt fairly confident about my ability to write something that had the rhetoric of, you know, black people should be free now. Um, but, you know, there's, there were a lot of people doing that for a good reason. And I sort of thought to myself, what I'm less interested in is me saying, you know, here's the history of the things, you know, I, I, the case for reparations was already out in the Atlantic. Like I didn't need to do that. What I was sort of interested in was that even with something as monumental as the case for reparations, it's like all he's really telling you is what people have been saying. And so what I, what I sort of then decided was I needed to collect, you know, footage and text and uh, audio bits such that what I was doing was framing it Um, but I didn't want to have to do sort of what you described earlier. I didn't want to have to do a voiceover (laughs) where, where I say, what you're looking at is footage of the Watts riots. The Watts riots began in, uh, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really interested in that. What I was really more interested in is if you put these things together, you actually, like, if you collapse history for a minute, and if you let all of the people who have been speaking for a very long time, whether they're, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning people or just people on the street who it affects, like they're not going to say things that are strikingly different from each other. Um, And so then that became the organizing principle was sort of how do you, how do you make this argument without myself having to interject, but rather just using, you know, texts or uh, voices or images that were already out there and were already in their moment trying to address it. It's interesting because there are a lot of, you talk about dialogues happening that have already happened. Um, We can see parallels and a lot of people just don't have that memory. They don't have the, or even the the knowledge of that history. Mm -hmm. And um, films are, are a great medium for it. If only because that is where people get, yeah. their history 
their new, I won't say news, well, video would be news, but I've been reading more about Reagan Mm -hmm. and seeing, like, the parallels to Trump Mm -hmm. and the things that were done or the way he was, like, treated and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um... And nowadays we think George Bush is good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm going, uh, I'm doing like some kind of repurposing project for him. And just I'm watching like all the lead up to the Iraq war and stuff. And it's just I cannot believe that it's OK that we think he's good now. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. You kind of you made me think about. Um, did you see Wonder Woman? I thought it was really fucked up. That, um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a period. Um, no, I thought it was really fucked up that uh, the movie takes place during World War One. Yeah. But they want it so bad to be World War Two. Yeah. And I remember, I like, I don't really like to argue with people anymore about movies. Yeah. Because um, you like what you like. I'm not really into that. But my argument was like, I said that, and I was like, I think that's fucked up. I, you know, there's a lot of problems with that. And uh, the person I was arguing with was like, oh, I don't think that matters. I was like, but that's how people get mm-hmm. their history. Like, that's what it's from now. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know. Cause it's like, um, like the big problem with that is if you're, if you're talking about, wasn't like the big thing with that was like, uh, they're using like chemical weapons and stuff. And it's like, but if this is World War Two, we dropped the bomb. So, like, how are they going to reconcile that? And you're like, oh, wait, it's World War One. Yeah. They're just trying to make it feel like World War Two really bad. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And that's how p- people are coming out of that movie, like, with their shit mixed up. Yeah. That's not good. I don't know. No, uh, I agree. I think, I mean, I, you know, I, I get in these sort of disagreements with a lot of my colleagues. And it's, I... I think people often think I'm, I, especially based on some of the things I've made, but that I'm sort of making a claim uh, that people can't make entertaining things or whatever, which I, I don't think is true at all. But I do think sort of, and maybe it's not fun and maybe it's not right, but I do think it's the situation we exist in, that filmmakers kind of have to own up to the position film is in right now. Just, you know, perhaps popular films shouldn't be where people get a lot of history from, but they are. And I'm not, you know, I'm the last person who, you know, when the historians come out and say, actually, that didn't happen on August 14th, it happened on August 17th. I'm always like, yeah, I know, but I think sometimes you got to do things. You got to reverse some things so that it works. But I do think there is a way, uh, especially with something like that, with like, you know, we have to make it World War One and show that they're bad, uh, or the way that you know every time somebody needs to make uh, a very serious film, they have to make it about World War Two, but always in Europe. Um, we're sort of playing a dangerous game, which is, I mean, I, I think one of the difficulties <laughs> that a lot of filmmakers have is that uh, there aren't there aren't like a lot of moments of massive warfare where you can say at this point and where it would even be popular to say at this point that the u.s is unambiguously doing a good thing Mm. and so i'm always i'm i'm always a little suspicious when 
when the the fallback for something is World War One or World War Two, um, because we've prosecuted a lot of wars since then. Well, it would help too, like arguing with people that just take it that like um, America was always doing the good thing, and that or like their hearts were in, like the Vietnam, Vietnam, the big documentary before. It's like, yeah, but we meant well at first. Yeah, and it's like I don't, I don't know about that. Um, like, because Vietnam is known to be like that was the one war we were wrong about. So it's yeah. like, okay, at least we get one. But yeah. they enter it where it's like, uh, yeah, but they meant well at first. Like it was wrong, but you know, in the beginning, like mm-hmm. the hearts were in the right place, mm-hmm. and like people, that's what you see in movie after movie, and people are like, oh yeah, people are like. Well, now we drone, and that's better because yeah. we don't. We're not putting our own soldiers there. I mean, whatever. They don't even like explain half the time. They're just like drone is better. Like, what else would you do? Yeah. And it never occurs to them. It's like none, none of that. Nothing. Like we don't have to do that. Um, like it's not part of their conversation. It's like, well, we drone because that's what we do, and it's good because we have to do something. It's like, well, maybe don't do that. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's an interesting thought because. It's something that uh, that I think is really hard to get around, and I don't even really just mean it about like American foreign policy. But it's like what's hard about it is you know films very often uh, they're like here's a person let's make care about them, and we're going to make things complicated around that person. Um, and what's hard is I think especially in like the American war film, even if we are making a war as hell film. Uh, we need you to know that, like, these people are are good guys. Um, And I just, I guess, to my opinion, and also to my opinion of movies, sort of, it's just, it's beside the point. Um, You know, I think it matters whether or not a character is, you know, quote-unquote, a good guy for how you'll interpret them. But, I don't know, I... I, (laughs) Early on, uh, when I was when I was making America for Americans, uh, for, you know, people who haven't seen it, um, there's a scene that it cuts to of, uh, Hillary Clinton saying her infamous, their, um, super predators line. Um, Mm. and it's cut opposite, uh, a young woman who infiltrated one of her fundraising things during the campaign, uh, to demand that she apologized for having called, you know, blackhead super predators. Um, and I, you know, when I made this thing, I really, like, I was like, there's going to be some pushback. <laughs> uh, and there was pushback in, in a lot of places. But what I thought there was going to be a lot of pushback for is there's a part in the film where June Jordan reads a poem called Poem Against Police Violence, where she says, what if every time they killed a black boy, we killed a cop? And I was mm-hmm. like, this is where people are going to get really mad at me. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I was prepared. I was like, okay, I've got to be ready for people to get really upset. Um, but when I sort of screened a very early version of it where people were most upset, um, was that Hillary Clinton was in it. Uh, and you know, it was during, uh, the election year and people were like, well, you know, she's, she's apologized since then and she's trying to do, you know, good things or she's a good person. Um, and I, like, I don't know Hillary Clinton personally. I've never met her. Um, I have no way to judge whether or not she's a good person, but 
you know, to me, it's just like that. That's exactly what I didn't want the movie to be about. Like I wasn't invested in, I was equally uninterested in whether or not Eric Garner was a good person as in whether or not Hillary Clinton was a good person. Mm. Uh, because I don't think that that has anything to do with the situation everyone's in. Um, and I think that's, what's really hard sort of to conceive in a lot of these films is that whether or not any of these people are good people isn't really the larger question. I mean, I'd prefer to hang out with good people, um, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's the tough thing of, um, uh, you know, I remember when the times ran that, that front page thing about Michael Brown and they said, he's no angel. And it's just like, maybe he's not, <laughs> but, yeah. but it, it doesn't really matter because that's not a, the penalty for not being an angel isn't death. And yeah. B, like that had nothing to do with what happened. Yeah. And so I think that's what's hard is that it's like you, especially when it's, you know, when an audience member believes they're on a side of something. So Mm. they're like, well, that my side has good people. It would be interesting to be like, to kind of put that reaction in the movie too, you know, to have that follow it. That could be really interesting. But yeah, I, I see what you mean where it's like, um, there's just something bigger. There's like an ideology or like a system above all that, just being like a good person. And that's like what you're part of. And we have to look at that as opposed to like, Hey, that's a good guy. I think it's tough too in movies because it's like, you know, like what movie ultimately what movies are actually really good at is they're super manipulative. (laughs) Like they're just really, really good at manipulating you. Uh, and they're really good at generating sympathy. Um, you know, I mean, it's like when you're when you're showing a film that you're like editing or whatever. Like a lot of the feedback notes are like, "Did you care about this person? Like, did you find them empathetic? Did you find them sympathetic?" Um, and it sort of is what you aim at in in a lot of filmmaking is like to make a character empathetic or sympathetic, and. I think what's like, what's really hard around that is that it can be, it can be difficult to sort of like telescope where somebody might be, you know, empathetic or sympathetic and they might be involved in something that's not very sympathetic. Mm. Um, And it's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard to, find the forms that allow you to generate that distance. I mean, I mean, I think to be honest, it's like, (laughs) this is a gross generalization and, you know, any, any critics or scholars who are listening can detail exactly what I'm about to say is incorrect. Uh, But there is, I think, uh, I don't know. I think of something like, like cachet, obviously um, where, you have these forms that you don't, you see it here and there, but you don't really see replicated in the U S very often, uh, that do attempt to sort of collapse this like broad historical notion with a more intimate setting of characters. Um, I feel like here we sort of see that much more 
maybe it's just that we're sort of more invested in heroes. Because when I think of sort of like movies that concern themselves with history here, it, they feel very, I'm, I'm trying to think of one that doesn't, but feel very wrapped up in sort of giving you a heroic figure of history. Mm. Um, which I'm not really against. Like, you know, I like a lot of those things, but I do think that it's hard to do that and tell a story where, you know, you can't really point very easily to like, that's the good guy in the sense of like a good guy, but also like, you know, the one who you're supposed to be like, Oh, this is the good guy. And the other one's the villain. Mm. I don't know. I think a lot of, um, I remember I saw, uh, uh, this is going to be controversial. I saw Lincoln when it was, uh, at the New York film festival. Um, and I just thought to myself as I was watching it, that I was like, Oh, this is a film about a saint. Um, it, and it shot like that too. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, can't say Lincoln didn't do some cool things. Great job, Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, just sort of thinking about what we were talking about earlier about like, well, movies sort of are where people get their history from. I was like, I don't know that you're doing like good work to make Lincoln purely a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I also think it's kind of like, I don't know, just thinking about like how films connect to the rest of the world. It's like, if you think that the only way, or if you're told that the only way to have a different way of living is to be a saint, you're, you're going to exclude a lot of people really fast. Um, and I, you know, I like some saint movies here and there. Um, you know, I'll watch Passion of the Jonah Arc anytime it's around. Love a good saint yeah. movie. Uh, but I also think that that, you know, it's sort of like, if you're making a saint movie, then yeah, like, make a saint movie, you know? <laughs> if we're going to do it, then I do sort of want to actually feel some sense of the divine rather than just, like, the perfect. When you're showing your work uh, to whoever... Um, <laughs> Or have you heard of this, you know, at any point? There's a, there's a tendency to take any kind of film that is a, more overtly political yeah. and uh, people don't like it. They don't want – it's, like, too preachy or whatever. Yeah. Whatever that means. Uh, like, where do you think that comes from? Because people – I'm guessing, like, the people that say this are, like, generally at least liberal. So – like, I mean, where, where does this come that, from? It's a great question, because before I made this, I used to get that, that criticism about, like, things I wrote. Uh, and then I guess I went further in that direction. Hmm. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think it's, like... I'm sure if I continue doing the research, there's, you know, some history of, like, the creation of the MFAs and of, like, the attempts to create art in America during the Cold War that, like, wasn't communist, but had some credentials. Um, but I think, I think to be honest, it's, like, there is this weird... There's a weird siloing that I feel like happens here a lot. Uh, it's possible it happens other places, but 
the only place I've lived for like longer than a month outside of the U.S. is France, and I wouldn't begin to say how French culture works. Uh, but there is this, I, I think you're right that it comes more often from, you know, people who would describe themselves as liberal to say like, oh, it shouldn't be that political. Um, and I think what people are actually getting at is it, it shouldn't be so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I don't, I just, I, it's, it's, I'm hard pressed to see what the line is that people are talking about when they describe something, you know, that's, that's a good version. That's, that's not so political, you know, um, Mm -hmm. other than that it doesn't feel challenging to you in a certain way. Um, but I also think to be honest, it's like, I don't know, America's relationship with art is really weird. Um, (laughs) I, I'm not really sure we like it that much. <laughs> uh, and I think what's what's really scary for, you know, political art is that it seems to be doing two things at once, neither of which do we really like. <laughs> you know, politics and art. And it's like, I think there's just, there's a way in which, like, To be, to be seen as political art, I think mostly you just have to step outside of sort of a congratulatory uh, Americanism. Um, because I just, I don't know, I think about like, you th- you, I just, I think about any, any of the like, you know, major sort of American films that come around year to year. And I would be like hard pressed to name one that I wouldn't say is like about something political. Mm. Um, But, you know, they're not all about it in a way that uh, discomforts people or that calls into question, you know, a fundamental thing. Um, and, And I also think, to be honest, it's because I feel like here there's a bit more of slippage between what we think of as art and what we think of as entertainment. And I don't really think those are that useful to oppose to each other, but I think when you don't like something, (laughs) then it's it's very easy to sort of, to call it out as not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's like I, taking this around places, um, you know, it's sort of, it's an overwhelming thing to watch. So I've only had one walkout actually, uh, which wasn't at the moment that I thought it would be at, but, um, what I get more is sort of like a challenging on the idea. It's the idea you get a lot actually outside of art too, of like, well, if you're going to say this, then you have to come up with a solution. Um, and I think that's, maybe that's ultimately what makes it really tough for people to deal with political art is that so much of art and particularly in movies and particularly in American movies and especially the ones that get most widely distributed, the, like the narrative form concludes. Mm -hmm. And 
I can't think of a lot of art that would get called political art that concludes. Um, because if it did, we would say it wasn't political art. We would say it's, you know, historical fiction. Um, you know, Lincoln concludes. <laughs> I think the only reason it concludes is because is because he's a saint in it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, honestly, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I think a lot of it does have to do with, especially with films, that it's, political art seems to sort of be violating sort of the covenant of narrative form, which is like, you get to the end and, you know, at least a few things wrap up. Mm. Um, but a lot of political art at the end, you just feel kind of sick. And nothing's really wrapped up. There's also the other, the other, um, like the flip side maybe of it being like watching movies, listening to podcasts, all this stuff is not doing politics. It's not doing political action. Well, yeah. Um, And I think that, that discomforts people too, is that you're sort of, I mean, I, that's a, so I showed this, uh, at the university of Colorado last year. Um, and it was interesting because uh, it was like, you know, it was like an intro film class. They're supposed to be watching the conversation that day. And instead they watched this. Uh, and the teacher came up to me later, which I didn't know. And she was like, you know, it was at Colorado Boulder. Um, and she told me how this was like the most that students of color had spoken up in her class the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one student in the back um, who was this black student who said, um, are you hoping that this film will do something for the black community? Um, and I said to him, I was like, no, to be honest, I don't think it can. Um, Mm. and I don't really think that that's what art is very good at. Um, I tend to sort of think what art is good at in terms of like, doing politics or a relationship to changing things politically um, is just kind of setting the cultural tone. Um, Cause I think there are things that, you know, sort of, to be honest, it's like you can get away with things in art that you can't get away with outside of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that's, that's where it, things get hard because you know, people also lie. They say that their their artwork is uh, going to change something. Um, and it's like there's very few things you could point to in history where you would say that artwork did, did something material. Um, but I do think you can sort of start to use it as kind of a wedge and a space to open up more exploration. I mean, the thing I, I sort of said to him in response to that was... Uh, what, one of the things that made me want to make America for Americans was that I was in my kitchen uh, and I was I was making bread and uh, I was listening to the New York Public Library podcast and Zadie Smith and Shimamanda Adichie, whose voices loop throughout the film, uh, were interviewing each other. And there, I don't remember which one of them had a book coming out, but one of them did. And they were supposed to be talking about that. Instead, they talked about being black but not from America and then coming to America. Mm. Um, and there's a line that's, that I borrowed and put in the movie where Zadie Smith said, um, 
when I first came to America, I couldn't believe the streets weren't burning. Uh, and what happened, I, I cut it out before it goes to this for my phone, but what happens right after that is everybody stands up in the room and there's just like thunderous applause. And I just thought to myself, if you say this on a street corner in the middle of a protest, you will get hit with an incitement to riot charge. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I was looking at that footage that's in the film of um, uh, Mike Brown Jr.'s stepdad and his mom hugging each other after they say they're not going to indict Darren Wilson. And he screamed, I don't know if I can say this word, so you can believe it if I can't, but (laughs) he screamed, burn this bitch down. Mm and they tried to bring him up on incitement to riot charges for that. And, you know, this guy just found out that the guy who shot his stepson, nothing was going to happen to him. And in a fit of rage, screamed, burn this bitch down. And that's incitement to riot. But Zadie Smith saying the same thing in the New York Public Library is met with thunderous applause. Mm. Uh, and honestly, I think it's like, it's, I think it's, it's hard for people to admit because I think it's sort of a humbling thing about art, but like, that's what you can do. In fact, is you can, you can say and show and make people feel things that in other avenues of, you know, life and society, you probably can't. Hmm. And I don't even really just mean it in like, just about political art, but I mean, it's like, you know, you think about violence in the cinema, and it's like, you can kill somebody in a movie, you can't kill them in real life. Well, you can, but you're bringing in some other questions. And I do think that it's like, it's iffy because you sort of, you want to say you're doing more, but I think ultimately it's what, what you're doing is you're opening a space for thought that maybe you, you can't think somewhere else. That's such a fascinating uh, example of that idea that you put in there. Um, and to, to go off what you were saying, I think, I think we expect too much of movies and stuff like that because you don't, so you read a book, you know, you don't expect it to change something necessarily. Like you read a really radical book. That's like so illuminating and you don't expect anything else from it. You don't like, go to the author and be like, what do you expect this to do? It didn't do anything. You know, you don't talk about the limits of that, but you do talk about that with um, other forms of art, particularly movies. So we think movies should be more powerful than they are, but at the same time, they are more powerful than we think because they often, they will say like, capitalism is really good. You're fine. Um, America's really good, you're fine, we're doing the right thing. They do have that, but then we also expect more from them that they obviously can't do. Yeah, Um, I mean, I always say to people, like, whenever that kind of question comes up, I'm often just like, look, there is no justification for making art. Like, The justification is that people do it, and they've been doing it for a really long time, and they're going to keep doing it. But I think there is this way that we like we expect it to do something, and especially with movies. And I think a lot of that is because it's like there aren't. I mean, now TV probably goes further, but you know, it's they're related. But there aren't that many other forms where it's so easy to get such a wide audience. 
across a really far space. Mm. And so I think there's this like, <laughs> there's this reaction to that that says like, oh, well, if that's true, then then your movie has to do something. But I just, it's putting a lot on a single instance of a movie. When I think mm. what really happens is like what you just said, that you get a type of work. I, I don't know, thinking back to when I wanted to be an art historian, it's like, it's not that useful to say a painting did a thing. Mm. What's more useful is to say, why does like this same kind of imagery keep existing at this moment across paintings? Mm. Um, and I think you're you're right. It's like movies, like a lot of movies tell you that capitalism's good. But <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I think about like, <laughs> a few of my friends and I always talk about this one. Uh, but about, uh, oh, which one was it? Whichever Batman one it was with Bane. I can't remember now if it's The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Where, you know, Bane comes in and makes an anti-capitalist argument and traps all the police in the sewer. Uh, (laughs) And then they do the whole thing where they, like, force the rich to cross the East River or whatever, or whatever the East River is in Gotham. Uh, And they have these kangaroo courts and people are dragged out of Fifth Avenue. Like, they show you, you know, revolutionary excess and then Batman comes back and is like, no, that's bad. And then everyone's like, yeah, it's bad. And then the movie's over. Um, we should re-edit that. <laughs> I was like, getting so amped up as you were saying. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot. That, that shit's so cool. Like, we should re-edit that. Yeah, nobody – they don't – that's what – I mean, honestly, it's like – what I always say about the movie is that I'm like, I'm not even really mad at its ideology, even though I disagree with it. I'm mad that they didn't even make the argument. Like, they showed you one side, and then they said, but no. And, you know, it's fascinating, too, because Batman himself, no matter what movie it is, like, his creation and who he is, the rich guy, you know? It's like, and it's exactly that, you know? It's like, and the way they're getting away with that is that you know Batman's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so it is that kind of thing where it's like, oh, wow, what what these movies are arguing, you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, you say, okay, my any movie is political art. And I'm like, the Batman movies are consistently arguing that you should not rise up against capitalists. Yeah. And, you know, they're also just like men in tights running around punching things. But, you know, that movie just, he comes back and says, don't do it. And everybody says, thank you. And then the cops rise <laughs> from the sewers. Uh, which is like, I remember watching it and like, feeling like I was going to have a panic attack because I was just like, how is this happening? Like, nobody... The long joke I've been making since then is that what I really want, I only want to make one superhero movie in my time, which is going to be called Gotham Year Zero, and it just takes place in the, like, six months after that movie, where somebody has to, like, reimpose class society. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, it it is that kind of thing that I think it's, you're right that people expect a movie to do more. And, you know, a movie might have some weird effect on a a segment of people. You know, you might make Viva Vendetta and then for a decade and a half afterwards, people keep wearing the mask. Mm. Um, But, I mean, even then, I don't think you can make a very good argument that whatever the politics of the guy in Viva Vendetta is has some relationship to anonymous and or the people who just wear the mask when they go do things. Like, it gets it gets very muddy very fast. But I think what it what does happen is you see, you know, a set, a 
of arguments or a set of, you know, tropes that exist across, across movies and make a certain argument. But no, it's, it's, I, I get why people really want to say like my, my movie or some movie is like very big and has a direct effect. But I, I just, you know, in my opinion, that's just not the role that art has. You know, a big question is like, how do we change the Trump people? We got to tell them, you know, he's not good. And, uh, you know, honestly, you can you can center to right. We want to we don't want people to like think in those terms. And what art I think is good is like it, it helps those kind of like discussions you have with someone being like, hey, people deserve to live. You know, it's it helps stuff like that to have like this slow process of changing of perspective and of life. Art can be really helpful with that. Um, and the process itself is really slow and might not even happen. It's like you talk to your friend and you're like, what's the matter with you? Why do you think this? And you think you get through to them. And then the next day they're posting on Facebook, Yeah, which isn't the worst, you know, that's a, probably a good outcome um, of something like that in the grand scheme of things. But the process of changing someone to, you know, the right, way or or to be like a better person with a better outlook and perspective and, and politics is um it's a very slow process and I think that what is what art could be good for. Like you can't change systems necessarily like with one piece of art alone, but a lot of them can help sway and help someone see I don't know, I, I don't really know how to put it without sounding like really cocky or pretentious, but like the error of their ways or Oh, I mean, I think you're right that it, like, you know, it's, you're right that it, it's, like, culture doesn't move that, I mean, we seem to think culture moves really fast now, because, like, internet moves fast, but all of those things that seem to be out of nowhere still have, you know, like, histories and lineages that prepared those things to even be legible, and I think, like, art, you know, being a part of culture, like, what it really does is it gives people a space it gives people a space to sort of experience or no not to experience but it gives actually it gives people an experience that perhaps yeah they don't go home and you know they don't go from uh being a member of the alt right and like wow full communism now uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen art that's quite that good yet. Um but <laughs> but you know these things do they do create sort of the setting that people exist in and are dealing with and are operating in um and in you know in the best of all possible worlds they sort of keep engaging with that kind of stuff. Um and they shift or or people who agree with you but thought they were alone shift, or you know, it, it just I, I think that's it's exactly what you're talking about. That it's like art is sort of the space. It's the space where you can encounter, um, without necessarily encountering in the ways that <laughs> that you might in the street, um, and that you might you know, in the halls of Congress or whatever. It, it's instead sort of you can go and engage in a way that isn't 
it's not at least confrontational in the same way that two people in a room are. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's like, it takes, it takes a body of work, not just from, you know, one filmmaker or whatever, but it's like, you have to have sort of a milieu that's producing, that's producing that work. Because that's, you know, it's like, I, I ragged on that Dark Knight movie, um, and I'll keep doing it for the rest of my life, but, you know, I'm not blaming Christopher Nolan for <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> like, he he didn't do it, and he didn't do movies defending capitalism. And so it's really more that it's like, that's an outstanding symbol of the rest. But I think it, it just takes sort of a continual attempt to to use movies as a way, and art in general, as a way to open up the kind of encounters that maybe are foreclosed in other places. Well, that's a great place to wrap it up. Please let people know where they could find your work. Oh, that's a really tough one. <laughs> Peace.